we move outside our comfort zone and seek new experiences to grow. We find adventure in the epic and the everyday. We travel to broaden our horizons and engage with nature. We are most at home in remote landscapes and faraway places, but never far from our community of passionate dreamers and wanderers. We are Chaconians. Join the Chacosphere at Chacos.com. Where will your Chacos go? This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production. With support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. One windy day in February, I found myself riding a chair into a squall that obscured the summit of Squaw Valley. I had come for a solemn race, but it was canceled because of the storm. Instead, my college team had been granted a racer's version of a snow day, and my teammates could hardly conceal their glee. It's a perfect powder day, they shouted through the swirling gusts as the lift carried us higher. I feigned enthusiasm, but already a feeling of unease began welling up inside me. We unloaded the chair and my fears materialized at the top of a steep clearing that fell away into tight trees. Everyone else was downright giddy as, one by one, they took off, gliding into the sea of soft snow below us, arcing smooth turns, and bouncing with uncanny weightlessness. Finally, the last to go, I took a deep breath, leaned forward, and started to move. But something went terribly wrong. Instead of blowing gracefully through the smoky powder, one leg veered dangerously off to the side, taking my balance with it. My arms flailed, I bent awkwardly at the waist trying to compensate, but it was too late. Before I knew it, I had ragdolled through the fall line of my friend's perfect tracks. I painstakingly extricated my body from its awkward landing position and composed myself for another try. With steely determination, I pointed my tips downhill and tried to power through the deep snow, but I was doomed. I started to do the super slow splits, as my skis drifted farther and farther apart under two piles of snow that felt like wet concrete. My feet stopped, but my body lurched forward, and suddenly I was thrust into an unwelcome downward dog, completely unable to move. I sat there like that for a while, panting and sweating and cursing, until something finally dawned on me. Despite all the hype and all the glory, skiing powder is really hard. Unlike my friends who grew up out west, whose embarrassing memories like these are old and faded, I grew up ski racing on a landfill in central Michigan, where powder's as rare as natural topography. I moved to California for college, and in Tahoe I got my first humbling taste of powder. But it wasn't until I snuck onto the ski patrol at Mammoth Mountain, after I graduated, that I really put in my time. My first winter, the mountain got pummeled by nearly 50 feet of snow. I logged 10 times as many powder days in that season alone than in the previous 20 years of my life combined. And by spring, I had finally learned how to hold my own. But because I mastered the art of skiing powder at the ripe old age of 23, I had to figure it out with the calculated pragmatism of adulthood. I remember every misstep with painful clarity, 
And each hard-fought lesson takes the explicit form of a commandment. So without further ado, my hard-won rules of skiing powder. Most importantly, maintain balance at all times, in all directions, uphill and downhill, front and back. Don't bend your knees too much or stand too straight. Be totally neutral and relaxed, ready for anything. I found that I had to abandon the aggressive stance I used for racing or carving turns on groomers because it invariably led to a violent explosion. And I learned to ignore that ridiculous adage that you should sit back in deep snow because that will lead to a torn ACL. Second, stay calm. Mostly the hard way, I learned not to make any sudden moves. Overcorrecting rarely helps, usually it just hurts. Skiing powder required me to suppress my natural reflexes. As if doing yoga, I had to practice self-awareness. Observe my body with calm impartiality, noticing where it was misaligned, and then, ever so gently, coax it back to neutral. Third and finally, commit. An untouched expanse of glistening white snow can spark indecision in even the most experienced skiers. But there's nothing worse than defacing a pristine slope with the herky-jerky hash marks of uncertainty. I learned to stop agonizing over where the snow might be heavy and deceiving, and quieted my inner type-A go-getter that screamed I needed to pick the best line or it was all a waste. That's because the whole powder thing, the thing that turns normal, intelligent people with jobs and families and the capacity for rational thought into rabid, snow-seeking maniacs, it's all about enjoying the ride. Once I figured out how to ski powder, I was hooked. I wanted to experience that weightlessness, that inhuman smoothness, that supreme grace, and I wanted it all the time. So I spent the next three years doggedly pursuing it across the spectacular Sierra backcountry. But eventually, like almost everyone I knew in Mammoth, and for all the reasons that often arise, I finally moved away. I started a new chapter of my life as a PhD student in geology at Oregon State University. For a brief year or two, I relished the intellectual stimulation of grad school and savored the opportunity to go new and exotic places for my research. But as time wore on, I realized something was wrong. I kept waiting for science to grab me like the mountains had, but it never did. Instead, science consumed and unraveled me. I regularly logged long hours at my office and felt guilty on the few occasions when I did not. I stubbornly labored away in a frigid basement laboratory, welding wrenches, pushing buttons, opening valves, watching the seasons pass me by through the narrow tinted windows that looked out on students hustling to class. I even dreamt about the bugs in my computer code, only to wake in despair when I realized my subconscious had supplied a faulty solution. I did all of this in an attempt to meet my own nearly unattainable standards, convinced that if I dug in with enough tenacity and persistence, I would succeed. I also became afflicted with a case of debilitating self-doubt. When some small problem inevitably arose in my research, sneaking up on me like a hidden knoll in the flat light of a storm, it always sent me reeling. Instantly, a chorus of fears would swell in my head. Was I smart enough? Did I work hard enough? Would I ever feel like the scientist I was supposed to be? These misgivings made an already hard task feel even harder. 
They made me my own worst enemy. On top of everything else, I began to notice things about science that scared me. The pervasive culture of overworking, the never-ending pursuit of specialization. And I looked at colleagues who were years and decades ahead of me and struggled to imagine myself filling their shoes someday. I began to contemplate that I might not be a scientist after all. And suddenly the future fractured into a forked road before me, both paths cloaked in terrifying uncertainty. I was paralyzed by a choice I felt incapable of making. I simply could not commit. It turns out that life, like skiing powder, is just plain hard. After a few more years of struggling, I had an epiphany. Or perhaps a re-epiphany. I had been through these motions before. I was trying to propel myself through grad school with sheer stubbornness and resolve, just as I had tried to defeat powder with the brute force of my racer strength. And just as I used to overcorrect my mistakes on skis, I was now losing my composure when faced with the unavoidable challenges of research. Like an indecisive skier, my excessive anxiety about things I couldn't control prevented me from savoring life's little pleasures. Over time, I fought to regain my balance by rejecting the slavish schedule that's tacitly expected of grad students. I cast my nut far and wide for counterweights to overworking. I learned to throw pottery. I grew vegetables. I baked bread. I started trail running. On top of making me happier, I was surprised to discover that those miles of sweating up and down misty forest single tracks often allowed a creative solution for a vexing problem at work to materialize in my brain, unsolicited, like the answer to a Zen koan. I also tried to restore my sanity by learning not to take things so personally, and to see the ups and downs of research as the minor hiccups they really were, where before, any little bump might have sent me cartwheeling, questioning my whole PhD and even my self-worth. I tried to maintain perspective. I tried to divorce myself from the idea that the challenges before me somehow reflected deficiencies within me. I realized that my response to these obstacles was the true test, and like I would have done on skis, I focused on staying calm and gently recalibrating. Back in the darker days of my PhD, I'd often fantasized about quitting and starting a bakery or taking to the road as a traveling musician. Sometimes I even contemplated going back to patrol. I was dangerously attracted to these extreme solutions, more for the romance than the reality. It was as if I was standing at the top of a mountain, unable to choose my line. I realized I simply needed to commit to a decision and ride it out. After years of trying to weave the wisdom of skiing powder into the fabric of my everyday life, I'm finally starting to enjoy the ride again. I've been slowly transitioning from scientist to science writer, a career that feels surprisingly fitting. I've found that I really do love science, as long as I get to explain it instead of do it. Every day that I spend learning something new and fascinating and then writing about it, I think, really? This is my job? I haven't had that thought since those mornings at Mammoth. Alone, waiting at the top of my favorite line, breathing in the silence of the calm, cold air. I remember stamping my feet to keep warm, but mostly I would just gaze out across the valley, where the mountains spilled into the sagebrush, 
or to the west, where the ragged silhouette of the minarets gnashed at the horizon. Eventually, the radio on my collar would crackle to life and state a cryptic message. Here they come. This meant the first guests had unloaded the upper gondola, and we were cleared to make our first turns before they caught up to us. Without a breath of hesitation, I would sink into the plastic around my ankles, gently tipping forward and giving my weight over to gravity. For a few sublime minutes, I floated through 2,000 feet of pristine paradise, a familiar landscape made new by every storm. I felt no bottom, only the undulating pressure of the snow under my skis, the slight resistance as it parted around my legs, and the unmistakable suspicion that, just for a minute, I was a superhero. I lived for that first run. I still live for it. The feeling of being in exactly the right place. Of careening unstoppably down exactly the right line. Of being full of gratitude. And full of grace. To be honest, I have no way of knowing if my new career is going to work out. But I can tell you what I'm going to do if it doesn't. Find balance. Keep calm. And choose my next line. My name is Julia Rosen, and this is my short. After six years of research, Julia will defend her PhD on March 5th. She skis less than she did when she lived in Mammoth, but still manages to get in her powder turns in eastern Oregon's Wallawas. Music today by Mala Jube, Woodrow Gerber, Kelly Ritchie, The Cassettes, and The Woodsman. All the tracks are courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. You can find links to the artists on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the diaries comes from you. Big thanks to Julia for sharing her story. If you've got a story you'd like to submit, check out the shorts guidelines on our website. Or to find out how to make a donation, check out the Pledge podcast or look for the button in the upper right corner of our homepage. Thanks for contributing. Support for the diaries comes from Chaco. Chaco is all about the community. Join the Chaco sphere. If you've got a favorite pair of Chacos, share your story with them on Chacos.com or be a part of the ongoing discussion on Twitter. You can find them on Twitter at Chaco USA. As always, the diaries would not be possible without the support of the good people at Patagonia. Their new film, Damnation, premieres this March at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. It'll be at film festivals throughout the year. You can find out more information at Patagonia.com. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. And from Kuat Racks, the little company that believed it could make a better bike rack with you, its fellow riders, in mind. Thanks, Kuat, for your unwavering support. Find more information at kuatracks.com. This episode was produced by Becca Call and Jen Altschul. I'm Fitzka Hall. Thanks for listening.